Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. God, and this morning, the question that I want to ask is this. What is biblical submission? What is biblical submission? It's actually going to be a two-part sermon this week. I want to lay a foundation of what the Bible says about submission. And also, get this, I want to teach you how to rebel against our government and how to conquer an evil or an uh, abusive or difficult employer in a godly way, okay? So that's this week. Next week, I hope to explore a controversial topic, and I am not naive. This is very controversial. It is the topic of submission between a husband and a wife. So you're probably going to want to be here next week to hear um, what the Word of God teaches on that. This is a very, like I said, it's a very controversial topic, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach on it, does it? We should seek to find out what does God think about these topics that we sometimes can have conflict about. And then whatever God says about it, what should we do? We should submit ourselves to his teaching. So, believe it or not, biblical submission is meant to be freeing and life-giving. It is meant to be freeing and life-giving. But when you hear the word submission, what comes to your mind? What kind of uh, feelings does it drum up in your heart? And before you fully answer, answer that, let me define what I'm talking about. The word for submission that's going to be in the text that we're going to be in this morning is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso, it's a military term that means to arrange oneself under, to order yourself under the authority and order of a leader. Another way that some people have said that what submission is, it's coming, it's, it's coming under the mission and helping someone with the mission that they have. That's what submission can be. But let's be honest. When we hear the word submission, we don't typically think of life and freedom, do we? We often think of oppression, like we're being held down. And I think that's because we've come to think that freedom, what freedom means is that you are able to do Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. That's how we can often define freedom in our culture. But true freedom is actually the ability or the power to do what you ought to do, when you ought to do it, even when you don't want to do it, or it's not popular or convenient. And I know that in our culture, we are encouraged to be free thinkers, right? You guys aware of of that teaching, to be a free thinker and to think for ourselves and to take the path that's less traveled? And I would not say that that's necessarily a bad thing. We should be thinkers. We should be examining what's being told to us. But there can be a way that we don't want to come under authority because we want to be what we think is free. And sometimes submission can feel oppressive. Therefore, we as humans don't like submission, do we? 
Think about that. Do you like submission? I'm going to actually say you do like submission. You like the, the, the certain aspects of submission. You like the good fruits that come from submission. I'm going to show you a verse from Genesis 1, verse 28, that kind of helps me explain this. In the very beginning, God, when he created human beings, he wanted to bless us. And he still does. But he wanted to bless us, and he says this to them. He said, it said, and God blessed them. Who's them? Man and women. Men and women. Adam and Eve. It says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is a, do you feel the life-givingness in this verse? Because it teaches that from the beginning, God desired to bless his people by causing us to be prosperous and living meaningful lives. By having a bunch of babies. You see that in there? It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he's, he, wants us, he wanted us to rule over the earth. We were originally created by God. Listen, we were created by God to rule over creation under his rule. And everybody loves the benefits that come from creation being under God's control. We like the fruit. Listen, we like the fruit of healthy submission. We like the fruit that comes from there. Let me give you some examples. This afternoon, um, if you guys pay attention, we're going to get out of here before lunch. And when you get into your car, you're going to want everybody else that is on that road to have their car under biblical submission, right? You're going to want them to submit to the laws of the land and stop at the red lights. And if they are in the left lane and you're driving faster than them, you're going to want them to realize that they what? They need to get over in the right lane. Do you know that? There's many drivers that don't realize that. I've preached about this before, but I, people still are not getting this message. So I'm going to share it again. When you are in the left lane and you've got someone behind you and there's nobody, pull over. Let them. It's called the passing lane, yes. We love healthy submission in that way. Or how about this? You're getting on an airplane to go on a long trip. Or you and your uh, special one are going out to a restaurant or you come to church or go to the movie theater, you just want to sit down and relax and enjoy the service or enjoy your flight. And you look up, and in comes a mom and a dad, and they're carrying a two- or three-year-old in their arms. What's going through your mind? Doug, you, you probably see this a lot when you travel on the airplanes, don't you? What are you thinking? Number one, you're either thinking this. Number one, I hope they don't sit near me, right? Or number two, if they do. I hope that this child is under biblical submission, <laughs> right? And I pray that if he's not, that the parents are under biblical submission and they will do something about it in a biblical way. Or how about this picture right here that's going to come up here on the screen? Would you want to go to someone's... If I invited you over for dinner and you came in and my kitchen looked like this, would you want to eat there? Now, teenagers, this is how some of your rooms look to your parents. But this is, this is a place, we, what do you want here? You want order in any place that you go, don't you? You want it to come under submission, 
under the order of someone. And also our bodies. We want our, our bodies to submit to the order that God created them to function under in the, in the beginning. And you know, I have, um, last year I had this, this pain between my shoulder blades right here. It was very excruciating because I was told, I went to the doctors and they said that I had a bulging disc in my C7 vertebrae. I guess, does that sound, okay, that sounds, thank you, Leslie. That sounds like I know what I'm talking about. But it was smashing against my nerve, causing this great pain, and, and I was having numbness. And my, I started to experience atrophy and began to be, you know, concerned that I might not be able to be in Mr. Olympia this year because of, I couldn't lift weights because my, my, the strength was getting less and less. So I went to doctors. Why did I go to doctors? Because I wanted them to help me to get all this back into submission, back into the order that God had created it to be in so that I could function as God had created me to. And so on one hand, I love the fruit that comes from godly authority and godly submission. Here's the catch. As long as it benefits me. Okay, I love submission, and I want everybody around here to be, I want you to obey God and submit to him, be kind to me, be patient with me when I mess up, that kind of stuff, as long as it benefits me. But when it gets in the way of what I want, and when God's law opposes what I want, I don't particularly like godly submission in that moment because to me it feels oppressive. And I feel in that moment that I actually know better than God. Can you guys relate to what I'm talking about here? But as a disciple of Jesus, I know and I've come to experience that true freedom comes when I fully and totally submit myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a struggle, isn't it? Coming under God's biblical submission, coming under authority, even though we know that submitting to God and obeying him brings life. So the question I have this morning is this. What is the secret? As disciples of Jesus, what is the secret to joyfully walking in biblical Submission. Well, in order to answer that question, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. While you're turning there, just to give you a little bit of background, Peter wrote this letter, the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to churches that were, at the time in the first century, going under great persecution and suffering and rejection because their lives were truly submitted to Jesus. They were living lives that were submitted to Jesus, and therefore they were experiencing trials and persecutions because of that. And so Peter writes to them, and he says, look, guys, hang in there. Don't give up. You need to persevere through these trials because there is a promise that those who suffer as Christians will be greatly rewarded in the end. And if you'll study chapter 1, we don't have time to do that this morning, but if you'll study chapter 1, you'll see that Peter motivates and encourages these listeners with the gospel. He simply reminds them of, of the truths that they already know. Number one, he says, look, you've been purchased, not with some cheap stuff like gold or silver. He calls gold and silver perishable cheap stuff. He says, but you've been purchased by the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. He then reminds them also that they were raised to life by the resurrection of Christ. 
and that he's coming back, and that they have this inheritance that's kept in heaven, that's imperishable, that cannot be taken away from them, and it's guarded. They guard that inheritance with the faith as they believe in Christ Jesus. And then as we jump forward to chapter 2, he says, you guys, you know, you have been rejected, but I want to remind you, you've been rejected by this world, but I want to remind you that Jesus, the living stone, who is precious in the sight of God and who is precious to us, he also was persecuted and rejected by this rebellious world. He reminds us that, look, as long as you are living as a true believer in this world, you are going to face persecution by this world. And then we're going to pick up in verse 9. He goes back to preaching the gospel. I want you to hear the gospel in this passage, okay? He says, but you. He says, they're perishing. This world is perishing. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people, a people for his own possession. Four things I want us to point out here that this is the gospel. Number one, you are a chosen race. He's saying that out of all the people in the entire world, you have been chosen by God to be grafted in to the family of God and therefore inherit the promises of Abraham. Secondly, he says you are a royal priesthood. Now that doesn't mean much to us, does it? When you think of a priest, are you like, man, I want to be a priest? Probably not. But the priests in the Old Testament, you know what they did? God would send them out to battle and to be on the front line. And the priests were to turn around right before the battle and begin to speak the word of God and empower the troops by reminding them, do not be afraid. God is with you. You are going to win this battle. And so Peter is saying, look, you are royal priests. You descend from Jesus himself. You have royal, kingly, noble blood running through you. So you need to learn. You need to learn how to open your mouth and proclaim the truths of God to one another so that you can be an empowered people. He also says not only that we are royal priesthood, but we are a people for his own possession. This is a truth. These are truths, listen, that we've got to slow down and think about. We are called to be a people for his own possession. He's called us out of this rebellious world to belong solely to him, that he would fully and completely have our hearts. Why? It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, he called us out of darkness so that we could taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good, and then that we would live lives submitted to him that help people see that our God is not evil. Our God is good. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's awesome. In verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. How did we receive mercy? When we put our faith in Jesus, when we believed in the gospel. 
And again, it's important for us to allow these truths to sink into our hearts and into our minds. Because in just a second here, and we're going to get here in just a minute, but in just a second here, Peter is going to give us some commandments, also known as imperatives. He's going to tell us some things that we need to submit to, things that the natural mind does not like to do. But before he gets there, he takes some time, some time and he massages our minds and our hearts, and he takes the gospel Q-tip, and you know, he cleans out our ears so that we can hear and be motivated and empowered by grateful hearts. This is the key. Listen, the key to being coming under God's submission is understanding the gospel. We need, to, we need to understand that. That's why we want to stay a gospel-centered church. And so Peter begins with the motivating gospel. And then in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, or, or I beg you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So he's telling us that we are sojourners and exiles. In other words, we're no longer, we no longer fit in to this world system because God has give, Jesus has given us a new mind, and we no longer fit into this rebellious generation. But he also, although we're children of God, he also acknowledges that there are rebellious desires that still exist within us. You see that? He says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Whenever we're tempted by sin, by the desires of our heart that want to take us away from God, we need to understand that there is a war going on. And when we give in, if we give in to temptation, we need to understand that what it does is it, it can cripple us. It can make us sluggish. The truths that I'm sharing right now don't seem that glorious when we're, when we're walking or uh, taken over by sin. We become ineffective. And our testimonies, the testimony that we have when we're living out in the world can be compromised if we're not careful. careful. And in verse 12, Peter continues, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Honorable. That word honorable means to be excellent. That as you conduct yourself and people look at your life, they should say that is someone that lives a life of excellence in whatever they do. It should be honorable. So that when they speak evil against you, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is when Jesus returns. And all through the book of First uh, Peter, he reminds us that we as believers represent Jesus. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We represent his, com his country. Kind of like, is anyone here from Italy? Uh, just out of curiosity. Oh, Lorenzo. Hey, how are you doing? Lorenzo is, is it a foreign exchange? Is it called? Uh, he is a foreign exchange student. Let's welcome him to America. That was lame. Let's welcome him to America. Yes. I'm glad you are here, are here because I, I wrote this with you in mind. So uh, anyway, I was going to have to skip over it if you weren't. But Lorenzo, you're from Italy, right? You are a sojourner here, 
and kind of like an exile here. You're not planning to stay here, right? (laughs) He is loyal to his king or his country, right? And he represents Italy. He told me that it is not that we eat spaghetti noodles, it's pasta, right? Is that correct? He is helping us to see what his country is really like. And you represent Italy really good. So I hope that I can visit, I can become an Italian one day. So. But my question to us as believers is as we are representing Jesus, and we are, whether you're representing him in a good way or bad way, but as you are representing Jesus, what does the world think about Jesus because of the way that you're living your life? You know, living a a disciplined life is not primarily about you having a good life because of the fruit that comes from it. I mean, that is what comes from it, can come from it when, we, when we're disciplined with the way we eat and spend our money, when we go to bed, when we work well. But it's not primarily so that we can make ourselves have a better life. It's primarily, as a believer, it's primarily that we would bring glory to God. We submit to God because we want our lives to, be, uh, to glorify him. And Peter says, listen, you need to understand that the world is watching you. So as it is watching, seek to honor God. And understand this, that as you are seeking to honor God, as you are living a righteous life, there are going to be times when they say, what you're calling me to do is evil. That's evil. And Peter says, make sure, make sure that their accusations against you are false. So that on the day of judgment, when everyone stands before the Lord and gives an account, on that day, they will have to bow their knee and say, you know what, actually, the way that they lived their life brought glory to you and revealed who you truly are. I have no excuse. And they will bring glory to God. And there are some who will be won over to Jesus because of the way that we live our lives. A lot is at stake here. And so Peter says, make sure that you live your life in a way that glorifies God. And one of the ways that this happens is through submitting to authority. Don't you love authority? If you're f- Not always, that's right. <laughs> Thank you for being truthful. Well, let's look at what uh, Peter says in verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Notice that, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In verses 13 through 14, Peter is calling us to honor God by submitting ourselves to, get this, human governmental authority. Let that sink into your head. We are to submit to the governing bodies that we're under. And it's interesting that Peter says, be subject or submit yourselves. You see that? In other words, do it willingly. Don't be forced into submission. Have you ever been forced into doing something you didn't want to do? Like when you were little, you did something to your brother and sister, and your parents brought you over and said, now tell them you're sorry. And you really weren't. You were forced to do it. Your heart didn't really engage in that. It can get really ugly when you're forced into submission, kind of like the UFC octagon cage fights. Have you ever watched that? Someone having to be beat into submission? Peter is saying, do not let that be you because God is not honored 
when that happens. God is honored when we submit ourselves willingly to authority. And notice who we are to submit to. Submit to. Notice who he says. He says, to every human institution. Because they have been put in place by God. Okay? We need to understand that there is no governmental institution put in place that, did, that got there by accident. Whether it's good or evil, it was put there by God. And it says in here, to, reward, to um, punish those who do evil, you know, those who go around robbing banks, and to um, reward those who do good things, like the Boy Scout who helps Grandma across the street. Governments are meant there to bring into submission those who will not submit and to reward those who do. And, and, you know, all government has been established by God himself, and it functions under his rule. rule. And you might say, well, you're talking about even like an evil, evil government? And I would say, yes. And here's a passage I want you to see straight from Jesus' mouth. It's found in John chapter 19. Verse 11, Jesus is, is standing before Pilate. Now, Pilate was no goody-goody two-shoes. He would make our uh, government look righteous compared to the way that he lived his life. Pete, uh, Jesus is standing before him, and he will not defend himself. Jesus will not defend himself. And Pilate says, do you not know who I am? Don't you know that I've got authority to either release you or crucify you? And I love what Jesus says to him. Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is acknowledging that the governments of the world are under the sovereign reign of God Almighty. God is the one who gives earthly governments their authority, and so we are called to submit ourselves to them. Even if we think that their laws don't make sense or that they are unnecessary. Now, I'm not talking about if they call, call us to disobey God. We'll get to that in just a minute. But there are laws that our governments can give us that we think, you know, that's just not necessary. Kind of like back, uh, there, was a, there was a time I can remember when seatbelts were optional. Y'all remember that? I mean, Parents would ride with their children. My mom rode with me in the front seat uh, of when I was born. She got, got in the car at mission, sat down, and there's video of this. I mean, she'd go to jail now, but she's sitting there riding. We would, stay, we would lay down in the back seat. Remember, the, you'd lay down the, the, the uh, what's that called? The thing, and you would lay down on the thing and, and go a whole trip with no seat belts on. And then seat belts came in. And I can remember people going, this government is just trying to control me. This, and so we would try to like, you know, I don't know if, I hope you submit to that. That's a good law, actually, because um, many lives have been saved because of that law. But what if it is a law that you think, like, I shouldn't have to pay taxes? I mean, when I pay my taxes, I'm actually helping to support an evil government. Well, Jesus says, Paul says in Romans 13 that we're to pay taxes. And again, that government was very wicked. We're called to, to still pay taxes. How about if the government says you can no longer eat chocolate, ladies? Oh, my gosh. 
Think seriously. If the government tells you you're, that chocolate is illegal, talk to me. According to this passage, what? Some of you ladies are like, hmm, I don't know if I like biblical submission. That's right. Or if you couldn't watch uh, football or whatever the thing is. We need to understand if there is a law that doesn't oppose the word of God, we are called to obey that law. That's what the scripture is teaching. And um, how about if the governing authorities pass laws that require us to disobey God? Now, that's another question. What if the government is telling you to do something and forcing you to do it? Is there a way that we can rebel against authority in a God-honoring way? And I would say yes. I would also say that the scriptures have several examples of people who disobey government. Uh, Steve Linhart preached about it a few weeks ago during Mother's Day about the midwives who disobeyed Pharaoh, the Egyptians, by refusing to kill the Hebrew babies at birth. Rahab, the prostitute, rebelled against her government by hiding the two Israeli spies that came into Jericho. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... When, the, when King Nebuchadnezzar said, you need to bow down to this image here, they said, no, we will not do it. They rebelled. But you know what? In each case, God rewarded them. But it's also important to understand this. They were not primarily trying to overthrow the government. They were not dressing up like Indians and throwing tea into the water. They were opposing government, listen, they were opposing government by obeying God. And there is a difference in that I'm going, to, I'm going to overthrow this government. No, we're going to submit to this government in as much as we can and still obey God. And so if you feel like you're an, a change agent and you want to uh, rebel against authority, there is a God-honoring way to do it. But it's not by ranting and raving and insulting authority. That is, not, that is not found in the Scripture. That is not a biblical way that we are to oppose uh, unrighteous government. But that's actually a sign of, of rebellion. It's actually a sign of immaturity, and that's not God's way for us to influence authority. Let's see what his way is. It's found in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God. This is God's desire, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, that by doing good, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see that? Peter's saying that to be free is to be able to serve God. And then he says, honor everyone. Who's everyone? Everybody, right? That word honor means to show respect for everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and here's, here's, the, here's the one that really gets you. Honor the emperor. Now, do you know who the emperor was back then? His name was Nero. And Nero is known for putting the blame of the burning of Rome on Christians' backs and using Christians as torches to light his uh, amphitheater 
when he was uh, in town. And he was put the blame on Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And Peter knows this. And he says this, you want to honor God? Then honor the emperor, even though he does not deserve to be honored. That's what biblical submission is. It often calls us to submit and to honor those who do not deserve to be honored. And that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it, at times? That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need to hear the gospel. So he tells us, submit to government. And then he turns to servants. In verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten and you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now it's clear that there was a New Testament slavery that existed back when Peter was writing this. But we need, to, we need to make sure that we understand that this is not a one-to-one correlation between what we know as the New World slavery that we're familiar with here in America. Um, there's three types of slavery that I want to talk about this morning just to kind of show that this is not talking about New World slavery. Because in America, in the Americas, as most of us know, uh, New World slavery was involuntary. And it was based upon ethnicity, and it involved kidnapping. Kidnapping, now listen, you need to understand that kidnapping is a sin in the Old Testament. If you kidnapped somebody, you would be stoned to death for it. It was not accepted in the uh, Old Testament, and it's condemned in the New Testament. Slaves had no hope of freedom and often lived a life of unspeakable abuse and mistreatment, all of which the Old and New Testaments would clearly condemn. Now, Old Testament slavery, as described in our Bibles, was actually a voluntary slavery, type of slavery, that was brought on because of poverty or debt. So someone would, would go into debt or uh, was starving, and instead of starving to death, they would sell themselves, as it were, to, a, to someone that they felt that they could come under, and they would get with that master, that's what they're called in the Bible, they would get with that master, and they would negotiate what this term is going to look like, and then they would sign a contract, and once their debt had been fulfilled, they were free to go. It's kind of like, if you really think about it, Old Testament slavery is much like professional athletes today, if you really think about it. Because athletes go to teams, and they sell themselves, don't they? And they negotiate a price for how much I'll play for X amount of dollars for X amount of time. And they sign their lives. They are, they are owned by the professional uh, teams. And sometimes they're even traded. It's, it's an interesting language that's being used here. What happens when they fulfill their contract? They become a free agent. And they can either re-sign, and that that's happened in the Old Testament, when a slave paid off their debt, they could re-sign with that master if they wanted to. Or they can go somewhere, somewhere else. So that's what Old Testament slavery looked like. 
Now, first century slavery, according to John Tabay in his book, The Power of Submission, he says people became slaves in various ways, through war, bankruptcy, sale by themselves. In other words, they sold themselves because they were in debt. Sale of their, uh, by their parents, so their parents would sell them. Now, that, that probably happened because the parent, and this happens, we've seen this in our world today, where a parent puts their child up for adoption. It's similar to that. They would sell their ch children like that, or they were born into slavery. Slaves normally could look forward to freedom after a certain period of service and after, often after a payment price. So I want to be clear here that Peter, in this passage, is not primarily addressing slavery. He's not supporting it or opposing it. What he's doing is he's giving biblical advice on how a servant, in, this, in our world, in our culture, it would be an employee, how we should operate as believers in Christ under authority and how we should conduct ourselves. And so just to be clear, I also want to say that there are times when you are under authority that God has given, where you're being, if you're being physically or mentally abused, there are times that I believe Scripture teaches that we should be able to get out from under it. We should be able to flee. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 23, that if you're persecuted, flee to the next city. But in these cases, these slaves could not get out from where they were at. They had to stay where they were at. It's kind of like if I went to another country, say Burma or Afghanistan, and I was preaching the gospel, and they arrested me and put me in bondage. Peter would be saying the same things to me, that I need to live a good life. I need to honor those who are above me and to live a life that reveals who Jesus is while I'm being held in, uh, under their authority. Now, I know that this teaching that I'm sharing about submission, like I've said before, is um, it's a difficult teaching to come under uh, those who are evil and unjust. We're being called by God to honor those who are not honorable. And you might be asking, why would God, does he just want to torture us? Why would God call us to honor the unhonorable? And I would say it's because that's what Jesus did when he died for us. He honored the unhonorable. It says in verse 21, For to this you have been called, talking about suffering, because Christ also suffered for you. Christ came and he won us over. How? Not with fear, but by showing us honor. By showing the unhonorable honor. Leaving you an example. He did this to show us how we're to live now. So that you might follow in his steps. And then here comes the gospel. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed. And then he says, for you were straying like sheep. We all were straying like sheep. We were all dishonorable, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. You see, Jesus came to earth the first time. The first time he came, he came to conquer us, but not with force. He came to conquer us by submitting himself and by honoring us so that our eyes could be opened to how awesome and loving and kind and good God is. And now he says to us, hey, look, you see what I just did for you? Do to others what I just did to you. Willingly submit yourselves to the authority that you're under. Show honor and respect to the unrespectable. And in doing so, you're going to win some. And God will be glorified. 